Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Listen, I start off the show talking about this. You know, we have the inauguration tomorrow, which I guess is more ceremony than anything. And I'm just feeling like I'm fatigued. I feel like we're at a point in our history, you call it an inflection point, where it's time for us to examine everything we do, including tomorrow's uh, festivities. Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, well, I mean, you know, I'm here in D.C., which is uh, looking like an armed camp down there on the National Mall and uh, a little suspect of these volunteer police that are coming from other states, including New York. Um, I'm like, y'all should probably stay where you are because I don't know if y'all coming to help or to hurt. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, Shout out to everybody who classes started this week. We class. I just got out of class myself. Wait, my Phil, hold on. Pa- pause. Physical class? Oh no, 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 no. Oh, oh okay. no, Zoom all class. Right. I'm sitting. Okay, no. all right. I'm in, I'm in the same spot where we, we have our conversation. <laughs> oh no, no, I ain't going nowhere. I mean, never leave. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But but yeah, you know, listening to young people, asking them how they feel, and realizing that. We may be at a moment when we can finally have this conversation. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Martin Luther King. And, of course, yesterday uh, I watched the uh, MLK FBI documentary that just came out. And, you know, deeply disappointing, as you would expect. I mean, all these false equivalencies. You know, the FBI has done some terrible things, but then trying to give them rationale for surveilling Martin Luther King and, you know, it just it just reinforces, and I started reading the 1776 report. Too. So um, I've been reading it slowly, anticipating this weekend. And the the first thing that strikes me is that you, know, you can't address the misrepresentations, the the lies, the wholesale just just absurdities in the report without addressing the fact that there is no common framework for talking about what it means to be an American. And until we face that fact, you know, we really can't. I don't. I don't know how we move forward as a quote unquote nation. Well, uh, the opening line, as it talks about the rising Americans, or the somewhere in there, the rising America, or um, it, it beckons us to to you know, this is the, the 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 document that is going to frame America. I I was struck that they, when they are talking about Americans, that they're not talking about folk with melanin. They're not talking about folk who have immigrated here. They're not, they're not talking about us in this 1776 debacle. And what do we, is, is this the plan to put this in the schools? Like I'm, I'm, I'm confused by, and then I looked at the scholars, the quote unquote scholars, and I didn't really see any. And I'm like, how do you p- create a document where, with the greatest historians? And it's like, I think only two people among the, the committee folk that I researched were our actual historians. And even that was questionable in terms of like, what's the lens through which they see history when you're a part of a conservative think tank as well? Like, I help me help us understand that, Dr. Carr. Well, no, I mean, you know, the name that jumped out, it, it, to me, well, there were two names that jumped out. One was Carol Swain, uh, the sister who used to be at, on the faculty at the School of Law at Vanderbilt, my hometown in Nashville, who has written about you know, whiteness and violence over the years. And as you know, I said, okay, Carol Swain, I said, they got Swain on here. And the other name that jumped out to me was Victor Davis Hanson, 
who has written about uh, the history of Western civilization and the history of war and conflict. I mean, I got a lot of Hanson's work around here. But, you know, the thing about Western, well, you know, the old saying, history is written by the victors. And some folks in the history profession would say that of the various branches of of history, military historians uh, may be the most reliable because they're just interested in who won, who lost, and why. And this document very much reads like a settler colonial document written by the winners. And so we are in this document. We come into the American project as enslaved. And, you know, the power of whiteness is in is in many ways in its invisibility. So when they say something like, you know, this project was designed to secure human freedom or slavery uh, existed in some form in every society, what they leave out is the nature of racial slavery or uh, chattel slavery. So what, they, what they're basically trying to do is to get all of us to see ourselves through the lens of this small group of white, uh, white settlers who engaged in a violent project and who are now shaping a history to justify their behavior. So, you know, if you read this, you would think, okay, well, they had people, you know, and I hear my students say it all the time, you know, black people sold black people into slavery. In Africa, I'm like, okay, so what was the form of unfree labor over there? Well, I mean, I assume, don't make any assumptions. What do you know about it? And so that's, that, that thread starts, starts unspooling very quickly. What happened in the Western Hemisphere is unique in human history. There's no way to get around the nature of settler colonialism. So what do you do with something like this? You simply uh, make a bunch of assumptions about the nature of human existence and then you let people read themselves into your story. And that's what they're doing here. Um, you know, so, but the, the, I'll say this one final thing. The thing that bothers me, though, isn't the possibility that this will become part of curricula around the country. I'm not really worried about that. Um, the thing that bothers me is how much of this narrative is accepted by people who would say they are open enemies of an idea like a 1776 project. I mean, there's a lot of this that, you know, people would say, well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with this. And what do you agree with? I agree with the framework that the United States is exceptional and this is a different project in human history. Oh, well, then you got a problem. 866-801-8255. Dr. Greg Carr is with us. Africana Carr is where you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, as right now, the COVID-19 memorial in D.C. is also taking place. And we can't even commemorate the deaths of people fully. Yolanda Adams is singing her heart out uh, with all of the the uh, lockdown going on there because of the insurrectionists. It's just it's a defilement. You know, I feel like we're 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 living in a bizarro Upside, it's so weird that these two things are going on at the, at the exact same time. You know, we have the, the, this, this insurrection energy that is threatening our very fabric. And tomorrow we're going to have a swearing in. And right now we have a memorial to people who lost their lives during COVID-19, which we're still in. It's a strange time that we're in right now, historically. If you could take, uh, take us out 100 years, what would 100 years from now people look at this moment in this time as well i mean optimistically um if we take an optimistic approach we could say that this you know, hundred years from now people will look back and say this was the moment when humanity pulled itself back from the brink 
when it began to seriously address the questions of climate change, without which all the rest of this is just moved. We won't be here. And, uh, and, and when we saw um, in the United States of America, in, in part fueled by a, a, a measure of desperation, we saw uh, a federal administration that did enough to hearken uh, back to the idea of a new deal uh, except with the 21st century spin, began to try to piece together a federal program that took took a swing at trying to make a society was more equitable. Now, that's the most optimistic read. What I expect, perhaps, if there is a species that isn't desperately fighting over everything from water to precious other natural resources in 100 years, I expect that this will probably be a moment when people look at the United States and say, this is the moment that it broke beyond repair. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. That isn't necessarily a bad thing because what has happened over the last couple of weeks is people, you know, white nationalism is now so, so obvious, so out in the open that you have to pick a side. So we already see Josh Hawley trying to block appointments and, okay, here we go. Good, Josh. Very good. Because you've picked a side now. Now, everybody has to say, you with him, you with us. And so... There is no place for being in between. So I guess what I'm saying is 100 years from now, we might look back and say, this is when people in the United States understood that state and local politics in many ways is just as or more important than federal politics. And once the federal government didn't do enough to enhance the lives of people on the local and state level, they began to form networks and do it on their own. Mm. And I think that, that may very well be where we are. Because you got to choose at this point. 866-801-8255. We've got the treat today. Dr. Gray Carr is in the building. Um, you mentioned Martin Luther King, who's, uh, of course, holiday we celebrated yesterday. Uh, birthday was actually Friday. And I've been, this has been mulling in my mind for my, a minute. The, the records that were sealed uh, until 2027, uh, the FBI files that are still sealed. What what's in them? What do you, what do you imagine? And and I I guess I guess the larger question is why do you need to seal something for seventy five years? <laughs> I know I know fundamentally. So anybody who might have a remembrance of it would be dead by the time they get unsealed and they can't dispute what's going on. And Oliver Stone, of course, has a lot of uh, you know conspiracy theories around the sealing of JFK's files. Uh, but what do you think is in King's files that we don't know already? Well, I suspect that when these things are unsealed, um, I think there are two two categories which would draw interest. Unfortunately, one of those two categories isn't necessarily one we should be paying too much attention to. And the one category folks will most immediately think of is, okay, what do they have on King? Do they have tapes of him with women in these various hotel rooms? Well, anybody with two eyes and a, and a library card, there was a sister who was the first black woman to be a state senator in the state of Kentucky. She wrote a book called I Shared the Dream, where she all but mapped out the meetups she used to have with Martin Luther King and the drive to Florida and then coming into Tennessee. So, so that's one category. And that's, you know, come on now, let's, let's just let that go. Because if you want to play that game, then I want all Kennedy's tapes. So that's that's one category. The other category, I think, which is much more important, and that speaks to the nature of coordinated state violence against the movement uh, counterintelligence program, which isn't mentioned until the end of this FBI King documentary. And, you know, what was what, 
What was the federal government doing? How were they coordinating with state and local governments to surveil movement leaders, to surveil organizations, to break up organizations? And I'm not sure that much of that stuff hasn't already been purged. I don't know anyone who believes that James or James O'Ray killed Martin Luther King. The family certainly doesn't believe it. I mean, if you read Dexter's uh, memoir, Growing Up King, or listen to Joe Clark, I mean, not Joe Clark, but uh, Joe Brown, you know, say, oh, well, you know, why are you listening to Joe Brown? No, no, no. Take me, read, Clark, read Pepper's books on this subject, on the assassination. Now, if there are documents in these that will come unsealed to show that they were aware of assassination plots or attempts or maybe even participated, then, yeah, we need to see that. But even that, finally, won't be a surprise because the simple fact of the matter is that the Federal Bureau of Investigation has never been the friend of the average American citizen and certainly not black and brown people or anyone trying to build the society differently or better than the wishes of those who are in power. And that certainly isn't a secret to those of us who understand it. How do we protect ourselves against that? I watched this week and discussed, uh, actually it was last week, as Jim, Jim Comey uh, paraded him, his lanky self out uh, into them streets. And I'm like, why does he have a legitimate platform to say anything? We are in this Trump mess primarily because in the 11th hour, he decided to, to, to put his thumb on the scale against Hillary Clinton unnecessarily. And now he gets a book deal and he gets to go on television and talk to us, FBI director. And I'm saying like right now we're, we're sitting in a space you know, where there are BLM, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter people, they have a, a whole list. These things keep happening, you know, with the Biden-Harris administration, how can we protect ourselves against the FBI doing what the FBI did in the 50s and 60s? We even had a little conversation this uh, today about uh, Abu um, Mumia, Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, there are, you know, these cases that, that have to be looked through the lens of what the FBI, uh, corruption mechanism, demonizing, infiltrating, and they're still doing it. So how do we deal, deal with that? Um, as we also expect them to bring to justice or bring these folk who were part of the sedition, act of sedition, January 6th to justice, that same body's supposed to go suss them out (laughs) as well. I, I don't know, Dr. Carr. Well, I think this, I, I think this, Professor Henry, I think it's fairly straightforward. We have to find a way, and I think part of it is identifying each other and coming together and building together. We have to find a way to lose our fear. And I mean, by that, I mean we have to speak truth to power and then act on that truth. In other words, so one thing we have to be very frank about is politicians are not to be liked or disliked. They are to be used. So, yeah, it's great that Kamala Harris went to uh, an HBCU, and I love that there's a piece in the Washington Post uh, a couple of days ago that talked about her father, who lives here in D.C., who is very much alive, and all her Jamaican roots. She and her sister spent the summers in Jamaica. Shout out to all the Jamaicans, because it ain't been mentioned. But, I mean, that's all, you know, that's all fluff stuff. It doesn't matter. Now, if you don't get this legislation through, if you don't push this, advance this stuff, then we got a problem. It's, I'm sorry, and because you were AKA and I played Alpha, maybe I can get in and tell you to do it. But I don't care about any of that. You're a politician, which means, as you say, you work for us. So that's the one thing. And then when you speak truth to power, even if you're just by yourself. I, I remember when I first met James, James, Jim Comey, because like you said, he hung out at Howard for a year after he messed up. Oh, that, I Howard forgot that. Wait, time change. out. Time out. Wait, hold on. I forgot. He, what do you mean he hung out at, he taught, he was at, on faculty there, right? 
at Howard mm-hmm. for a year. <laughs> so some of us were invited to sit with him. So, you know, I said, okay, I, yeah, I, I'll come sit with Jim Comey for 20, 30 minutes. So I sat down, he's sitting there. What would you like to see? I said, well, first of all, I want to ask, I said, there are a lot of young people on this campus over the years who have the name of Sada. They are named for someone who was a hero in our community. She's on your most wanted list. Now, are you prepared to have a serious conversation about why this woman is on your most wanted list, and yet we're supposed to be living in the same society? Well, he's writing stuff down. Oh, that's interesting. I said, no, 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 let me be very clear about this. There is no such thing as America, as a nation. We don't have a common memory. We don't have a common identity. What we share is a government and a set of rules that operate. But you can't come on this campus and expect that we're not going to have those conversations. Now, who, I don't care who the director of the FBI or CIA or who's over the Pentagon, for that matter, is in, in, a, in a Biden-Harris administration. There's a black man over the Pentagon. Yeah, get out of Africa. Get out of what, – what is this Africa command? Why are you undermining government? Let's be very clear. And if we're not prepared to do that, then let's just be prepared to keep getting punched in the face. So it takes losing our fear. And a lot of that means we got to just speak the truth to power, whether we're by ourselves or whether we, we bond together. But the more of us who bond together, the easier it will be. 866-801-8255. Is this uh, outgoing uh, dumpster fire uh, is set to grant clemency to more than 100 people? He's been holed up in his uh in his in the White House, according to Brian Karam, you know, setting forth and he's going to possibly grant clemency to little Wayne and maybe the Tiger King. <laughs> oh, you can't. You well, can't I heard make actually this that he was trying to. Uh, so I, I saw something the other day where folks were saying pushing for clemency for Leonard Peltier, saying if Trump hates the FBI, then let's put the names of our political prisons on the list and get him to do it as a final uh, middle finger. Wow. And in my mind. That's absolutely fine. Use him if you can, because he's going to get rid of his buddies and he's selling pardons. That's right. But, hey, why not? Why not? Julius Garvey, Dr. Garvey, he's the only remaining child of Marcus and uh, and Amy J. Garvey, wants a pardon for his father. Now, yes. those of us who love Garvey say he don't need no pardon. He shouldn't have been in the first place. But the son wants one. If Donald Trump would sign it, then go ahead. Trump pardoned Jack Johnson. Barack Obama didn't do it. I could care less. Okay, so but we we don't give him a pass for that though. Oh no 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 he doesn't. Oh no he doesn't get a pass at all. But I'm saying the person in the office is an employee. I don't care why you did it. I mean Andrew Johnson, according to lore, was drunk when he signed the charter for Howard University, and he was an open racist. So some people wonder if he even knew what he was signing, but he did sign it. Andrew Johnson, you know this. And as we start off the show talking about 1776, you know, the rabbit holes we need to go down to to educate ourselves about things, because history is not science. I said this, you know, before, of course, it's not science. It's memory. It's it's perspective. It's, you know, it's lenses. You know, people who are listening right now who have children or people themselves who are attempting to, to make sense of of this thing that we're in right now, this this period of time and this country. What suggestions do you have for them to to educate themselves about this? And it won't be the 1776. Do you think people should read the, the 45 pages? And if they read the 45 pages, how should they read the 45 pages? 
Well, if I were, and then we may actually do this with my freedom school kids, depending on what we do this summer, this 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 this, uh, this spring. If you're going to read the 1776 project, get your child's textbook. Or if you're a student in high school, then get your history textbook and read it side by side. See where it agrees, see where it disagrees, and ask yourself why. It's very important to understand. I mean, in the 1776 project, for example, they threw John C. Calhoun under the bus. He's a hero to many of the Confederates. So I'm looking at that, and I'm saying if I were designing a project, I would be like, look at John C. Calhoun in South Carolina in the 1850s and 60s, eventually the vice president of the United States, and look at the people now condemning white supremacy today. What are the similarities and what are the differences? And one of the things that students will find is that it's very easy to condemn a racist who's got a hood on or burning a cross. But often that becomes the safety valve so the people who are engaged in the real structural racism can now go back to their hiding places. That's why a lot of the civil rights organizations have signed a letter. I saw the letter today being circulated, uh, encouraging the federal government not to pass any new legislation. Because we know that we know where that leads. Once these people have been locked up, are you going to turn this on BLM? In other words, be very careful. And that's why we study. And that's why we study history. If we don't study history, it's like listening to music. If you listen to enough music, you learn to you learn to identify patterns and rhythms. If you don't study history, you won't be able to see the rhythm. It's very important because without the rhythm, you will be surprised by something that you shouldn't have been surprised about at all. And more importantly, you'll be unprepared for dealing with it. Most important uh, history book you've ever read that oh, wow. s- set your course. You know, I'll just name one right quick because it's one we often talk about. It's one of the first ones we ever talked about a year ago. It's not necessarily a history book, but it's a book on the philosophy of how we should use history. And that's, of course, Carter G. Whitton, The Miseducation of the Negro. The old classic, the old 1933 classic. I'd say if you had to, had to start somewhere, because that one shows you and tells you how and why you must then engage the rest of the work, gives you a roadmap. We got a lot of teachers listening um, and a lot of folk contemplating homeschooling, a lot of folk contemplating what is education. We were just talking with Ruben Harris about his Montefiore uh, and then his uh, seven-day Adventist education, which uh, led him down a certain path. But the Montefiore one in particular gave him a foundation of self-discovery. Um, as folks are contemplating how in, in the, these COVID times, and you and I often talk about jailbreaking the school system, and I think in many ways we have um, at least started that process. No what, question what about t- it. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. What what do you what do you suggest? And you know, we we have class every Saturday, and I'm putting up air quotes around class because I think even that the discussion process, as opposed to regurgitating, you know, us throwing some stats and facts, and then make you come back and regurgitate, and then we test you on what you memorized, as opposed to exploring things. Um, mm-hmm. th- this this period is an opportunity for us to change the game. Well, I'd say this very quickly, uh, Karen. You and I, both classroom teachers, we know that one of the strongest things any teacher can do is help a student connect the things she knows to the things she doesn't know. And so what we're learning week after week, and, you know, this is the brilliance of it, and I love it, is that every time somebody types in the chat or comes in, you bring them in face-to-face conversation, what we're hearing is people are saying, okay, this is what I know. This is what my ancestors did. This is what my community is doing. And this is how it connects to this thing I just heard about. 
that I didn't know. That is really the power of education because everybody who walks the earth has a human experience. And so people think, in fact, my old teacher, one of my comrades in Zynga Heru used to say, just because I don't know what you know doesn't mean that what I know doesn't count. Everything counts. And so when people have a visceral reaction, when they see how Martin Luther King was treated, pause. What has happened in your background that made you have that reaction? What happened in your community that you built? What did, and then what you see coming out is we have these various rich tapestries of experience. And finally, in a classroom, that's what keeps people interested. That's what keeps people interested. People have to identify. And, and some stories are not just good and evil, as John Henry Clark used to say. And some stories, it ain't no good guys. The thing got to be written. Every generation has to write our history, has to write our experience. And the thing that's the key to in a classroom is tying the things you know from your experience to the things that you're learning. And then people just learn to kind of teach themselves. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM 